0: We're about to listen to a very special preview edition of The Endgame, featuring as always my co-host Bill Flackenstein and our frequent guest, long-time contributor and great friend James Aitken of Aitken Advisors. It's been a long summer, there's been a lot of travel, so The Endgame has been on a bit of a hiatus, but we're back, and it sounds based on our conversation with James that there's an awful lot going on. So I think you are really going to enjoy this conversation with James. Every episode of The Grant Williams Podcast including The Endgame The Supertrific Happy Hour The Narrative Game This Week in Doom Shifts Happen and Chaos Theory is available to Copper and Silver Tier subscribers at my website grant-williams.com Copper Tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts while members of The Silver Tier get both the podcast and my monthly newsletter Things That Make You Go Home So if you enjoy what you hear on the show and you'd like more high quality content like it please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today And now on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of The Endgame with my two co-hosts, because the third one is way past being a guest now, Mr. Bill Fleckenstein and Mr. James
1: Aiken, Gentlemen, how are you, Bill? You first, how are you, mate? I'm doing just fine, and and I'm hoping both of you two wonderful mates are doing as well as well. Is that my cue to cry a bit? I
2: get a bit teared up whenever Bill says that.
1: Yeah. A little yeah. bit, a little bit. You've been on a tear this year. You have
0: been
2: all over the place this year. You've been hard man to pin down. Well, if you've been all over the place in terms of travel, yes... <laughs> Just to clarify, well, there's been a lot, a lot going on. There's a lot of people to have a chat with. There's a lot of people more important to listen to. It's been a quite confusing year in a lot of respects. Some things happening that are obvious. Some things perhaps not. And if that requires me to get on a plane, so be it. But yeah, it'd be hard to top the amount of travel this year. And there's a little bit more to go, but you know, first world problems,
0: right? Let's talk about that at the top of the show. Let's talk about what you've heard from people and what you've been talking about. Because, you know, I you talk to the smartest people in the world and if they want you to come see them, it means there's someone important to talk about. So talk us through those conversations, the nature of them.
2: Let's see if we can frame some of this discussion at a very broad uh, level. I think if the three of us were having a chat in January 2022, and we guessed that the Fed was going to jack rates up the way they did and at that pace other central banks, and that by late 2023, we're still not entirely sure if central banks are done and the Fed in particular. Look, if we'd guessed that in January 2022, I reckon we would have penciled in much more obvious signs of a slowdown in consumption, rising credit stress, so wider spreads, more obvious and widespread defaults. A derating of the equity market, tighter financial conditions in general, and all in all, more signs of economic stress. And here we are. It's remarkable. And part of the journey for me, well, a very key part of the journey for me, I should say, over the past 18 months has been, OK, we know inflation is not transitory. We take central banks at face value. We know they're going to hike rates. But we know there's long and variable lags in monetary policy. But... I need to be open-minded here. I need to unlearn things. I need to think differently about the world if for no other reason than fiscal policy is all in. And as I think we said roughly a year ago when we had a chat back then, look, there's no great historical analogues for the present. You know, there's a bits of the 70s, there's bits of the 60s, bits of the 80s and 90s and so forth, and if one wanted to be dramatic, oh, bits of the late 40s, et cetera. But there's no good coherent analogue. And I think critical to navigating this transition is having an open mind. I know that's a cliche, being humble. I know that's another cliche, but most of all, unlearning things. And I think one of the key things people are struggling with is we thought we knew how monetary policy transmitted to the real economy. We get a little bit too much inflation, labour markets a bit too hot. One or more central banks, e.g. the Fed, says, hey, we're going to move rates up. They talk a tough game, they keep moving rates up, something breaks, they're forced to do a 180 degree turn, they start cutting rates, we end up at the zero lower bound, we know that game. Central banks can't follow through on their promises. Well, here we are in late 2023 with a Fed funds rate, let's say simplistically five and a half, the US consumer still in pretty good health, the stock market sort of churning around but going nowhere, bond yields higher, default's rising a little bit credit spreads, well-behaved, and so on and so forth, certainly feels at a minimum that we need to revisit how we think we know monetary policy is transmitted to the real economy. So for me, first and foremost, it's all about unlearning. And look, just to simplify it a little, there's this great tendency, as as we know, for people to project on various social media platforms and and all their commentary on markets and investing is, is basically, I am right. And then when the three of us and, and many of our friends listening think about all the greatest investors and frankly all of the greatest traders we know, their mindset is always, am I right? And there's a huge difference between I am right and am I right? And I think it's the am I right approach that will continue to serve us well as we service well, I should say, as we Switch into 2024. So it's a nonstop learning journey for me, Grant and and Bill, and things I thought I knew or understood, I've had to set them aside and learn and adapt and pivot as evidence comes in.
1: You know, the implication of what you're saying is there might be things that we don't know, and we're keying on some of the wrong things, which you'll get to. But I want to just put one other piece to the puzzle because it's not really your department, but it's an important ingredient in the things that I think. You're going to want to talk about as how I read what you write. And that is the equity market. You know, you said, what would we have penciled in if we knew all this? We probably would have penciled in a lower equity market. And one thing I think we can't forget about is the size of the massive bid and its passive bid and its distortion. Obviously, that's Mike Green's department. But I think part of what you're going to discuss, if we layer in the fact that the stock market doesn't seem to care as much about important things that it used to. I think that's another factor that is leading people to be more wrong because this is a new phenomenon over the last 15 years. So anyway, you might want to just touch on that when you go through your view of what things people might be missing.
2: Yeah, well, let's, let's, as they say, double tap on that because otherwise I might forget. Of course, you're right. And I would extrapolate it from passive, I'd extrapolate it into all forms of non-fundamental quantitative flow through global markets. And to be very clear to our listeners, it's not to complain or tilt at windmills or bemoan it. It's just to realise the environment we're all operating in. So there are hundreds of conversations like ours occurring today around the world trying to figure stuff out trying to be less wrong from a qualitative fundamental perspective you know you put macro and all of that but the reality is that even if we all get it dead right upon the outlook the road ahead and markets and so forth even if we put our portfolio out perfectly we're going to be a tiny 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 percentage of turnover in all markets around the world. That's the reality. We could be the greatest value stock investor in our chosen sector, but the facts are because we're such a small percentage of turnover. You know, maybe high single digits. The chances are, as soon as we put capital to work, we're going to be instantly wrong because the ninety percent is driven by non-fundamental strategies in the broader sense, whether they be passive or let's call them fundamental. And that's just the way it is now whether it be vol targeting, passive, you know, we go down the list, all these gigantic factor engines. Look, effectively, they've all got an element of volatility targeting. So when implied volatility is falling, they add to risk. When it's rising, they start to trim risk all across all sorts of liquid markets. I think we all know that. And the point here, Bill, is that all this non-fundamental capital, which dominates global financial markets every day, It's very important to respect it. And it's very powerful within regimes. But if we're switching regimes or evolving into a different regime, then these non-fundamental flows or non-fundamental machines might not be well positioned and might be caught offside. And we see that from time to time when there's a sudden rush of flow that generally makes no sense as someone out there non-fundamental is recalibrating their exposures. So to be clear, we need to be mindful and respectful of the fact that there's an awful lot of people out there, frankly, who don't care. They don't care. And the essence of so much of that non-fundamental money, I mean, not so much passive, but the essence of so much of that non-fundamental money is that you can predict realised volatility and you can predict correlations. And if you can predict those two things, then you could construct a very large portfolio of exposures all around the world in most liquid markets that you can control pretty tightly, which is what happens. And that's just the reality. So for me, look, we could call it a distortion. I'd agree with that. But it's not going to change. It's not going to change. It's going to be with us for a long, long time to come. And I think the real challenge for all these non fundamental strategies, is if we ever arrive at the point where we have a proper hard landing, a proper default cycle, and inflation is still too high.
0: James, that's so interesting, right? Because it feels to me like we're either there or we're very close to that, right? We are seeing defaults pick up. Defaults are at a really high level now. The chance for a hard landing, let's put that aside because everyone's, you know, there's, there are still people talking about this no landing scenario, which, okay. And this idea that if you can predict those two things right, you can build very large portfolios, again, yes, until you're wrong, in which case you've got massively large portfolios, which are inherently much more risky when you try and unwind them. So it feels like we're we're setting up to a point where the things you just talked about matter. They're very quietly starting to happen. Inflation is still too high and yet we haven't had that moment yet that kind of wily coyote moment where gravity takes hold from a purely market perspective is there anything that you've either seen or anything that you've talked about in these meetings with people that passive aside helps explain why we are seeing activity on the bond market which you would think generate a negative response in the equity market. In fact, I think Barclays came out last week and said, what the bond market really needs is an equity crash. That's the only thing now that can save the bond market. None of it makes any sense because all the building blocks are there except maybe one or two. And it doesn't feel like anyone's looking at that. The full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com.